Nell, a local Ohioan and avid surfer, gave us the lowdown on this week's surf. She reported shoulder-high mornings with a little offshore wind. The tides were quite high, which caused wonky, slow waves. But Rincon was beautiful with just overhead sets every 20 minutes on Tuesday. Her dog Lucy, a blue merle Great Dane that sits at the edge of the water and watches Nell surf, had a slightly different report. Sand smelled of seal carcass, which was a plus. Wet pats on the head from local surfer boys were appreciated, but kisses are preferred. And the sunrise was nothing short of spectacular. the story. Welcome back to the Townies podcast. I am Kim Maxwell and I am a townie. I'm a townie who loves other people's stories. I teach a weekly writing and performance workshop here in my ridiculously small fishbowl of a town nestled in the foothills of Ventura County. And for 25 years, The raw and vulnerable musings of my brilliant and courageous students have sent me home filled with hope. Some of my beloved students are seasoned professionals. Some have never even been on a stage before. But there they are, up in front of a live audience, flinging themselves and their brand new words into the abyss. Their reward? They have been heard. They matter. Their words matter. And the audience? Well, they have just officially been granted permission to do the same. To go out there somewhere and take a big old risk. And that is the sacred exchange between terrified storyteller and gracious audience member. Permission. I love people's stories. Because stories are what connect us. This is the Townies Podcast. Welcome to the Neighborhood. Episode 31, No Place Like Home. Kicking off this week's episode, Dede, written and performed by Jem Ruff. Making his debut on the Townies podcast, Jem is a pensive, goofy, and determined high school sophomore with the packed schedule and vocabulary of a 50-year-old man. Like other Turkish grandchildren, I call my Turkish grandmother Anne, Anne, Anane, which literally means mother's mother. My uncle's children call her Baba Anne, my father's mother. But for grandfathers in Turkey, it doesn't matter if he is your father's father or mother's father, you just call him Dede. The hospital was built to nurse Greeks or other Orthodox Christians in the old city of Istanbul. To reach my grandfather's room, we greet an open corridor. Turquoise tiles line the walls, and there are large oaken wood frames for each patient's door. They accommodate the sun here. The tall, thin windows usher a soft glow to the room, and the tiles absorb the steam of a melancholy sun. Above, a high ceiling pulls each noise a great distance and holds it near the fans, so the frantic scratch of a doctor's shoes or somber push of a nurse's cart will be held together to amalgamate and form one audible drone. When at last the drone is cut and disbanded by the fan blades, 
and the cycle repeats itself. Hemingway's hospital is here, and the pretty nurse is his lover. A man can be destroyed, but he cannot be defeated. Nobody loses it when we're around Dede, but everybody seems to be crying just a little bit. Dede's room is spare, but has chocolate and tea and a refrigerator that is full of ice cream because my Dede still loves ice cream. Turkish ice cream is very thick, elastic, and in all ways better than American ice cream, with the exception of the humble creamery stuff sold at Costco. If I'm awakened to the dead of night by the soft rumbling of ice cubes as the freezer is being opened, I know it's either my dad or little brother engorging Humboldt as it is affectionately called in my house, straight from the vat in their underwear. Not, not, not a vat in their underwear, but wearing underwear. <laughs> my Anana is very generous and will donate all this equipment to the hospital when Dede doesn't need it anymore. The ice cream, chocolate, and tea make my little brother's eyes laugh, and Dede eats them contentedly while the family takes turns to be by his side. Dede's window is one of the most beautiful windows in Istanbul. It is simple and small, Grandeur has nothing to do with it, and it looks out over the old wall. The wall crafted by the slaves of the Roman Empire, the wall whose parapets were swarmed by Seljuk Turks of bright fabrics and horses who used their legs to bend their dense bows. The wall reminds me of the stories Anana told me to put me to sleep, the lonely princess in a tower on the Bosporus, and the lone soldier who scaled the old wall and hoisted the Turkish flag before being arrowed down. I always sipped on warm milk and honey, plaintively slowly succumbing to the warm smell of the night, the wail of an imam, and a ship's horn reverberating under Rumeli Castle. Under the old wall now, farmers have cultivated the land and grown verdant fields. A history of Turkey is a history of conquest, global domination, a retreat into obscurity and resurrection, but beyond the wall I see phallic monuments, Erdogan's small, wee-wee compensations, which raise a skyline of its splendor and history. I went to Dede's side, held his hand, and squeezed. The summer before, Dede was speaking German, Turkish, and English, weaving between them to clarify with my dad, who obviously can't speak Turkish, can't speak German very well, even though his dad was German. He and my brother only speak English, and we lovingly call them the ugly Americans. <laughs> Dede still drew boats with a steady hand. But in the midst of an ancient wall on the stone confines of the strong old hospital, one year later, Dede is sleeping. In a spasm of the man that once was, he squeezed back. I was happy. Somewhere deep in his mind, Dede still lurks, trapped in his plump, rosy body. And we can't have the solace of a sick body because the ice cream and the doting and the tea have fattened him up, and he looks healthier than before. Dede is a good plump now, clean-shaven. Gogo, his warm Armenian nurse, runs a tight, warm ship. He's always sleeping, spasmodically inhaling sharply. When Anane greets him with, She's always very loud with him to rattle him back up to the surface and plops a tender kiss on his forehead, accompanied by a cheek pinch. He murmurs and he stirs. When the grandchildren hold his hand, he squeezes back. When my mom goes to his side, he, she speaks to him, holds his hands, moving her thumbs over his palms, and he stirs more fervently, mumbling, rumbling to her, telling her she is his daughter. She understood and smiled. The sailor lives with his ice cream and warm nurse. Inshallah, God willing, when I return to Istanbul outside the most beautiful window in the city, waits a Roman wall and lush pasture. Inside the most beautiful window, my dead sails with his daughter.
And that was Jem Ruff. A Blooming Rosa Roja, written and performed by Rosita Lopez. Miss Rosita is a gifted, dedicated, and passionate young advocate headed off to college in the fall. And from there, who knows? Congress, maybe. She's got my vote. My mom's smile is like a ray of sunshine, lighting up the whole sky from between the clouds. As soon as she says her sweet hello. My mom's smile is a todo estará bien, mi niña. My mom's smile is a beautiful, blooming rosa roja. Her smile is a simple, estoy orgullosa de ti, mi morenita. Her smile is an unspoken yes when we're at the farmer's market and my siblings and I ask for a mango con tajini chamoy. My favorite home is one house down from the corner of Guava Street and Hisler Avenue in Oxnard. The house that is now a green pastel color with an orange tree, a red banana tree, wild bushes, y claveles that weren't there before, but should complement the house now. In this house, in this house is where my mom, my siblings, and I gained our freedom. Before 2009, my mother lived in fear of my father. She was afraid to speak out. She wore turtlenecks and baggy pants and wouldn't smile in fear of my father's jealousy. The house at this time was brown and desolate. It wasn't landscaped. We didn't have time to worry about our lawn. There were no trees, not many flowers, mostly dirt. In this house, I saw my mother cry so many times. Today, I see her smile. Her smile means everything to me. Her smile is freedom in 2009 when she decided that domestic violence would no longer be a part of her life. We don't live there anymore, but in this house, This green and vibrant house, I see my mother now. I see how my mother is now. Now she wears skirts with beautiful tops and beautiful and even plain colors, but she is bright and we get our toenails done on Sundays. The house is a beautiful blooming rosa roja, just like my mommy's smile is today. My perfect day consists of laughter, rays, and rays of sunshine. Rays of sunshine and, of course, my family. This combination is a recipe for an amazing day. The perfect one, I would say. We go to the farmer's market and we buy sweet mangos con tahini chamoy. Where my little brother's face is covered with chamoy. <laughs> where my mother is smiling and we are free. Mami está sonriendo. Y somos libres. Finalmente libres. You just heard from Rosita Lopez. Gloss, written and performed by Elise Geronimo. Elise is a super smart, super passionate, super hilarious biology and sustainability nerd with a particularly potent fascination with fungi. She's fun, guys.
I'm certain I'll die before I decide to paint my house in off-white cream color with gloss. <laughs> I understand that my parents thought it would be a good idea to use paint with gloss in it so it would be easier to remove the crayon from the walls without leaving any waxy residue behind, but I think it's time to repaint. The only color that goes well with cream is brown, and luckily my parents got a hold of a brown table, brown couch that my eating body tells me didn't cost much, a brown rug, and topped off nicely with brown picture frames. <laughs> luckily, as kids, we weren't as wild as they thought we'd be, so they only had to scrub the walls a few times, and in return, they were left with the gorgeous cream-colored walls that never failed to make me feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Just as uncomfortable as the family pictures featured in the entrance. I understand it's difficult to get a good family picture, but there's no need to display it if it is mediocre. <laughs> My favorite is the one where I have the 103 degree fever and I'm kneeling there, knees aching, body sweating, and I feel the ever so slight breeze that blows through the closed off room. I told my mom I wasn't feeling well, but of course she waits until after the picture is taken to see if I'm really telling the truth or not. <laughs> she sends my cousin out in front of me before the picture is taken to make me laugh. And God, is he funny. But I won't laugh. I refuse to give her and my family the satisfaction. <laughs> I guess it is my fault I look bad in the picture, but she doesn't know that. No one knows that. <laughs> no one needs to know that I was feeling well enough to smile, especially that I was feeling strong enough to hide that smirk that almost showed through my perspiring cheeks. <laughs> this gives me the reason to be angry. I will remember the strength, power, and control I had over my shaking body and weakened mind, and I will commit my every muscle, every bone, to making sure I do not paint my house a cream color. <laughs> and the gloss. God, why the gloss? <laughs> You were listening to Elise Geronimo. Hey there, townies. We have some very exciting news in the works. Stay tuned for a big announcement in the next episode about season two. That's right. Season two of the townies podcast is on the move. And boy, do we have some surprises for you. Since I was 15, the road's been my life. A song on my back, missing my wife. If there's one thing I know, this is my happy home. Leaving the tarmac Head in the clouds Winding through traffic Alone in a crowd Dear Mr. Fantasy We just disagree Look at you, look at me Gold Mariposa on the air The sea and coconut in your hair A word 
Sound engineering man about town Ken Eros with Happy Home. To learn more about the music and performers featured on the Townies Podcast, please visit thetowniespodcast.org. Fuck Thomas! Written and performed by Vanessa Frank. This Stanford graduate and immigration lawyer is dedicated to her clients, social justice, and making sure her son reads every word of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Why is someone knocking like that? What, what time is it? Where am I? It's dark. It's, someone is pounding on the front door. The entry light's are off. Outside the dark night is also red. It's Jamie at the front door. Is it time to go for our dawn walk? I open the door. Whoosh! Wind and heat and emergency lights swirl around me. Get Ben and get out. There's a fire and they're evacuating our neighborhood. Look! My bleary eyes follow her strident finger up the same hill I've so often huffed and puffed on our morning walks together. The entire hillside is in flames. Our entire neighborhood is in flames. There's fire everywhere. The wind is whipping in all directions. Cars flowing down the streets. Families evacuating. My brain says, give me a minute, give me, give me a minute. It's, it's midnight. 
When we went to sleep just a few hours ago, Ben was worried about the wind. I told him about how when I was seven and was on Oahu for Hurricane Iwa, the rushing palm sounded just the same. I'd been with my parents and I knew no harm would come to me. It was just wind and palm trees. Now Jamie is here and she's directing. We gotta go, honey. Just get Ben and get to the car. I see Eric and their kids sitting in their white car, each holding a cat. They must be waiting for her to get us. I nod and mumble assent. We gotta go, my brain repeats to itself slowly. What do I grab? A year ago, this was a simple writing prompt. If your house was on fire and you had one minute to evacuate, what would you take? Turns out, if I have only one minute to leave my house in the middle of the night with all the electricity out and my friends shouting to get it together and get the hell out, I would take my son, as many cats as I can grab, and my backpack, which always has my wallet, computer, keys, glasses, and a small bag of my mom's ashes. Apparently, I would wear my pajamas and my bedroom slippers. <laughs> and while I have presence of mind to grab tennis shoes and a jacket for my son, I take only underwear and jeans for myself. No sweater, no shirt, just a bra and a pair of jeans. <laughs> I leave my eyeglasses along with a headlamp on my bedside table. <laughs> I consider hosing down the house to keep it damp, protect it from scattering embers. I consider going to the safe, taking out my precious documents, the jewelry from my mom. I consider running through the house and taking as much stuff as I can get on my way to the car. But I just leave it. What would I take? I love my new sofa. <laughs> the TV attached to the wall. The piles of photo albums, each one a half-done scrapbook full of loose tickets and cards hanging out of it. My six file cabinets of records and client files. My books. Too much to sort through, too much to pack. Jamie brings me back. Get out! I see the flames one block away. The wind is blowing in my direction so hard and hot it silences all the chaos in the street. I have one of our two cats and that's going to be as good as we can do. I roused Ben, I shuffle him to the car, tossing in the book I'm currently forcing him to read, as, as well as The Lord of the Rings, which we are reading together. <laughs> Eric comes into the garage and releases the door opener, and together we manually hoist the door. I pull the car out into the windy, flame-red night, and I ride slowly behind my friends, down the hill, follow them without even knowing our destination. It's an emergency, and my feet are still in slippers. We stop at our friend Trisha's house. Electricity is out here, too. It's out everywhere in town. We try to settle in, but this house is in chaos, trying to decide what to do, intermittently packing bags and searching for one of their cats who has gone missing and without whom they will not evacuate. There's yet another family here, so in the dark there must be about 15 people aged 6 to 45 years old stumbling around a strange house, flashlights skimming, orders flying, kids and grown-ups going from room to room. Here, kitty, 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 kitty! What cat would ever come back to this? I don't even try to assert order or calm. I take no steps to help. I stand to the side. I try to get Ben back to sleep. Jamie and Eric decide that the fire is moving too fast and best to get out of the city altogether. Looking up the street, it seems Ventura is gone. 
consumed by flame. In our respective cars, they lead, I follow, to Eric's parents' place in Camarillo. The highway is dark and deserted all the way down. The only light are rivers of red flame coursing down the hills, raging over the ridgelines. We stagger into these retirees' home, 3 a.m., dusty, loud, loosing our assorted cats into their tidy garage. I collapse among the kids and cushions and quilts on what seems to be their living room floor. What am I doing here? In my prime, I would have been louder. I would have offered an opinion. I would have sought to take leadership. I would have grabbed more things. I might have told Jamie, thanks for waking us. I've got it. I'll catch up to you later. I would have made my own decisions. I might have stayed behind at my house trying to help the neighbors. I would have gathered my things in my own time, orderly, with lists. Now I just follow. I put my head down and let others guide me. You know, I noticed this also this past summer when I fell and broke my leg on a hike during our rafting trip. Instead of pushing on, fighting back the pain and doing it all by myself, I allowed the group to pack me up and drive me and Ben home. I didn't even help to make the plan. I found myself saying, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Thanks. Who am I? Who is this quiet, passive person? I think it has something to do with the marriage and the divorce and something to do with losing my mom, my mama. The marriage was so precipitous. People from all corners cautioned that at best it was rushed and at worst, well. And and after years of managing on my own, bulldozering my way through every obstacle he put in front of me, it turns out it never paid off. All the effort and hardship and endurance, it made no difference at all. I have no husband to change the light bulbs, lift the heavy furniture, clean up the cat vomit on the floor. No one but me to go up in the attic and find the rat who chewed through all the hoses of the car, the furnace, the washer, the dryer, and the water heater. And unlike my single friends, I have a child I need to raise. I want to raise. I will not just move to a new city, date some crazy guy, go out for drinks at 10 p.m. and just hire a sitter. I got lucky, though. My mom was there right behind me. We talked every day. And it turned out I got to raise my boy with my other favorite person in the whole world. My mama and I would share every moment. Meandering chats over the finest details of what my boy was up to. (coughs) Profound conversations about politics and the benefits of organic Plans for adventures for the three of us. But then my mom got sick. We had that conversation where she told me she couldn't help me anymore. (coughs) And my boy was only eight when his mama died. So now no one is left to tell me I'd done good or bad. No one behind me all the way. I'm on my own, so I depend on others. On dark days, it feels like I've been broken. You know, like a ranch hand breaks a horse, tamed, docile, bridled and reined, I calmly follow. But then, without anyone else to depend on, I get to listen to myself alone, without negotiation, without compromise. Now I know to listen to myself, when to forge ahead, when to trust in others. We all fill in for each other, all of us increasingly motherless children. And as much as I hate it, I love it, too. 
this flowing into one another, filling one another's cracks, shoring one another up. Friends got us home when my leg was broken. Jamie and Eric found us safe places to land amidst the flames. I know I'm free to go as far as I want, but no one will rescue me either. And I realize this feeling. This is mastery. I know my limits. I'm an adult. I'm free. I'm grown. I'm also tired as fuck. <laughs> And that was Vanessa Frank closing this week's episode of the Townies Podcast. I'm from here. Here's the story. Please join us every other Tuesday for a new round of freshly minted stories. I am Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio, and we teach people to launch their stories loudly and unapologetically into the world, to laugh more, risk more, and have bigger lives. The Townies Podcast is co-produced by Lily Brown, Asa Larmonth, and Ken Eros. Studio engineering and mixing by Eros Creative and Sound. The Townies theme song was written and performed by Rain Perry, recorded and mixed by Martin Young, and mastered by Mark Hallman at the Congress House. The Townies podcast is in part made possible by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ojai, a small town with big stories. You can find out more about us at thetowniespodcast.org. Thank you for listening. And that was the townie's own sound engineering man about town, Ken Eros. You said town twice? Your mom said town twice. <laughs> <laughs>